good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that it's, that's in its second year. And if you're a returning listener, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for giving me your divided attention and your patronage. Again, as I've said before in previous uh, programs, if you like what we do here and you want to find a way to support it, thank you for sharing. I'd like you to share it. I'd like you to promote it to your friends, people, to, to, to uh, friends, colleagues, coworkers, cohorts, so you can create a robust conversation. Um, a lot of people that I speak to or that email me, they say, I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's the conversation that they have. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks like this. There's strength in numbers, and there's a, different, there's a kind of strength and validation to know that you're not the only person thinking a certain way. But there's also strength in knowing that the person that thinks the way you think is a prudent, practical, open-minded, data-driven individual as well. So it's not just someone rattling off dogmas and ideologies. It's someone saying, hey, listen, is, is our ideology matching the realities on the ground and the facts and the data provided? That's me. So there are many, many people that have reached out to me via email. Oh, by the way, our email is whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com um, that have reached out. And, and, and they've, that was the sentiment. I felt that way after reading many, many books as a, uh, in my late teens, early 20s. The things that I was thinking were not being parroted by any of my contemporaries. None of my teachers were thinking like this. None of my, the elders and the authority figures in my family, my parents or uncles or whatever the case, and aunts. No one, until I started reading books from the past. And I always tell people, you want to learn something new, go read something old. Especially in the United States, there's way too much attention and deference paid to youth culture. And sometimes we're deferring on the people who know the least because they're the ones who spend money the most indiscriminately. That's why consumer capitalism loves themselves a young person. Oh, yeah, they're going to buy anything. Oh, yeah, we can get them to do this, that, and the third. And, you know, they're going to spend their parents' money and the parents are going to, you know, just want to keep the kid quiet so they, 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 um, they, uh, uh, they'll just buy the thing to, to placate and pacify the child. But I always tell people, I don't need to know new slang. I need to know old poetry, old philosophies. Everything that we have right now in front of us is historical because it was built before. It was built in the past. It was built on tenets and philosophies of the past. So I always say, don't bother trying to learn new slang. Try to learn old philosophies. You want to know something new, read an old book. That's what I, I've been saying that for eons. So oftentimes there's a new author on the block speaking about this, that, and a third philosophy-wise. I'm more apt to go read the Stoics. I learned more. Just saying. I like to know what's going on now, but I like to know what led us to this. That's what this is about. That's what this, this whole sh platform is about, how we got to the place we are now. Not just explaining how we got, uh, 
not just explaining here, but how we got here. Because if you don't like how we got here, you need to know how we got here. If you don't like where you are, find out how you got there and then change it. Got it? Anyway, if you like what we do here, if you support what we do here, feel free to share. Feel free to be my um, part of my marketing team, so to speak. Like, hey, send it. And also, please feel free to support financially because that's how this is going to, 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 to expand. At the moment, it's pretty much the monies that uh, I get are accrued from you guys. You know, the more often I receive dono donations, the more often I do a show. I want this value to be reflected financially to a degree because I'm, that's, the, that's the way it is. If I want to do this full time, I have to show the value in it. I have to show the value in spending two, three, four hours or researching particular topics, making sure that every T is crossed and every I is dotted. To do that, that takes time. And time in the daytime takes money, costs money, right? So... If you want to donate to the show, you want to support the show, you want to help this show expand, no donation is too small, and of course, no donation is too large. Feel free to cash app us at dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. That's dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. You can also Venmo us at J-U-N-B-E-A-U. You can Zell us at Brun at gmail.com. It's my first name and my last name, spelled J-U-N-Y-A-B-E-A-U-B-R-U-N at gmail.com. So Cash App, Venmo, Zelle, we are there. We are ready and available. Um, Thank you guys for shopping at Chavez House Publishing on Amazon. That's Chavez with an S. Anything that's under Chavez House Publishing or Lenore Batista, you can go get over 100 offerings of password logbooks, uh, dance diaries for, for young ballerinas, uh, fitness logs for men and women of all ages, decorative notebooks from 8 to 80, whether you're in grade school or grad school, uh, daily affirmation journals, gratitude journals. I mean, everything, over 100 offerings. Go check them out. They've been a great friend to this platform, an ally. I can say to this platform, okay? And it's been beneficial for both of us. Okay. Um, oh, also, yeah. Instagram is whose world is this 2021? Whose world is this 2021? Our Twitter is whose world is this with Junior Renee Bobrun. You know, you'll know it's me because you'll see the uh, me staring at an elephant and an elephant staring right back at me. I'm trying to grow that page. I haven't been putting, like I said, the effort. But the monies now that come to the show go to promoting. Every time I do an episode, certain monies go to not only the time that it takes to do an episode, the hour or two, but then to promote. There's monies that go to promotion. I'm saying that because, yeah, 2023, this is a big year for things that we're doing because uh, the response and the feedback that I've received – and not only that, um, I'm reading and I'm noticing that there are certain podcasts that have been following me that their programming is starting to mirror mine. And it's not by coincidence. And I'm noticing even larger platforms that I like. Their content sounds, I'm not saying that they're copying. I'm not saying that by no stretch. I'm saying that there's a pulse going on that I was on top of 
in the year 2020 and in 2021 February when I finally decided to start this platform, much of what I said in 2021 were things that I was think thinking, obviously, well before 2021. But not many people were going out on the same ledge in the podcast world. They were afraid that Apple was going to ban them. They were afraid that they were going to be expelled from these. But I went in. And now, because there's more information out there in the zeitgeist, they're feeling more comfortable going in. I'm emboldened by that and encouraged by that. That lets me know I was right all along. I, I was not on the wrong side of history. I was on the right side of history with almost everything that I've, I've, I've projected to the public so far. So I'm okay with that. And if I'm wrong, I will stand corrected. But the mere fact that we've been on the pulse of this, of the things going on and the goings on that have been going on, that's something to be encouraged about. I'm encouraged by that. And it's, and the people emailing me telling me, yo, June, Yo, now guess what? They're sending me links to things that are eight, nine, ten months after I did a cast. And they're going, June, I remember when you covered this last year. I remember when you were saying this last year. I remember I said I, I, I uh, shared your podcast with a friend of mine and we argued over this and he said you were wrong. And then now I'm sending official docs to them that are now public, public knowledge. Now it's public knowledge. You said it early. I said so. But, you know. I always say, and there's an old saying that um, the first one to the door is the one who gets the bloodiest or the other saying where they say uh, 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 explorers get slaughtered and it's settlers who prosper. I don't mind being the first one through the door with certain ideas. I just don't mind it. I won't be a martyr for any of these ideas. I'm not martyring myself on the altar of, of, of ideologies and things like that. I won't do that. But if I'm going to say something that's unpopular, but it's correct, then so be it. If I'm going to lose friends, colleagues, cohorts, whatever, due to speaking in, in accurate terms, not just a belief system or a dogma, but something that's data driven or I, I'm OK with that. I'm more than OK with that. I have actually I have no hesitate. I have no hesitation or trepidation whatsoever if I'm going to lose a friend or family member or colleague due to me speaking data-driven facts and they don't like the data presented. And if they want to go data for data, by all means, let's do that. Unsheath your data, I will unsheath mine and let us meet at the town square and have a conversation. It doesn't have to be confrontational, but if, you know, but there are people that are not happy with some of my stances. Today may be one of those days. <laughs> Hence the reason why that was my lead-in. <laughs> I have gotten a great deal of pushback for this particular topic, a great deal. And I love that because for me, the more pushback I get, it's not the more I'm going to double down, the more I'm going to explore the pushback. That's the difference. I've said it time and time again before. If I am introduced to a higher truth than the one that I have previously subscribed to, I will relinquish my lower truth and replace it with the higher truth that has been presented. That's been who I am my whole life. I'm just a monkey on a branch. That's all we are, primates. So I got to let go of one branch to get to the other, right? If I'm swinging from these trees, that's all I'm doing. So if your truth if there's a truth that's been introduced that is a higher, more accurate, more substantive truth, I go, that makes more sense. I get, okay. 
And that's why it's important for me not to dismiss any opinions. I take it all in. And if I don't have a counter, then that means that's a, that's a particular perspective and point of view that I have to further explore because that means there's, there's a certain truth. If I cannot discount something or counter it with data, that means that's something I have to explore. I can't just dismiss it because I'm so doubled down, invested into my ideology because I've made it a part of my persona and personage. No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And that's why this channel continues to grow. That's why what we're doing continues to grow. That's why the feedback from the listeners continues to be a robust conversation. And that's why the donations are trickling in slowly but surely. But what, what I want is nothing happens overnight, but at the same time, when I've noticed that people in the sphere that I'm in, my contemporaries aren't doing this at a better qualitative are not more qualitative and more substantive and more learned on these subjects than I am. So I want this to mirror, I want this platform to mirror their success. Because if I'm right there, then it's only a matter of just ears tuning in, people tuning in. That's all it is, is bringing more folks to the conversation. That's all that's missing from this conversation. So what am I gonna speak about that may have me lose some homies? I'm going to speak about childcare. I'm going to speak about the whole dynamic now around affordable childcare and how it deals with our work, how it deals with who gets to stay home from work, who doesn't. This is sort of a continuation of our first conversation about the work from home people, the RTO people, and how this really affects young people coming up now into the workforce. If you're 16, 17, and you're shrugging your shoulders, listening to this, in a couple of years, you're gonna be asked to fend for yourself. What do you want that to look like? This is not irrelevant to you. This is not irrelevant. If you're a teenager, if you're a parent, and you have a teenager right now, their work life is going to be vastly different than your work life. It's going to, by the time your child reaches your age, their idea of work and what works look what work looks like and how they look and view and how they view work it's going to be vastly different and the conversation is happening right now the 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 government shutdowns people working from home and being asked to return to office WFH versus RTO this is a conversation happening in real time that's going to have ramifications in the American labor market and labor markets all throughout the world for the next century to come. This is the beginning of the conversation right now. To me, it's an exciting conversation because it's a conversation I was having when I got my first job or my first full-time job. And I was like, this is for the birds. <laughs> Mom, what is this? Yo, this is the check. Holy mother. And no one listened to me until I read an old book, until I read several old books about labor, about capital, about ownership, about feudal systems, about how people were tethered to land and, and the, the class warfare and the land ownership conversation and the divvying up of labor v. ownership all throughout the centuries. For, 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 for seven, eight hundred years of conversation. It's amazing. So I read several of those books, not all, not even close to all, because I, I'm not an economics major and I'm not a history major, you know. But at the same time, 
I read these books. I was curious about it. Something about it didn't feel right about the work world I was living in, about the work world my mom and dad was living in. When I asked my mother naively as a child, why do you have to work so much? And why can't you be here with me? She had tears in her eyes. Because it wasn't a question she could readily answer. Why can't you just stay here? Well, June, I can't because, but why? Why can't I come with you? No, you can't, but why? The beautiful, remember we had a conversation. Remember, there was a previous uh, uh, show where I spoke about, oh yeah, when police overreach, I teach. Those two episodes. And I said that the number one and the most important question you can ask in your life is why. It's three letters, one word, one syllable. Why? You need that answered. And we haven't been able to answer the question why, honestly, that our world is looking the way it is. Why? Well, I have a couple of questions and I may have a couple of answers. One of them has to deal with this child care conversation. I was reading an article at a, at a, from a quote-unquote reputable magazine, a business magazine, and it was speaking about the frustration that the female worker has now in finding quote-unquote affordable Child care. Affordable child care. I think we've spoken about this in times before because I mentioned that lawyers now are going to make up most of the females are going to make up most of the legal profession in the next coming years. That 51 or 52 percent of law school graduates are going to be women and 50 or 51 percent of medical school graduates are going to be women as well. So they're going to have these gold collar professions. What does that look like? What's that going to look like as far as child care, as far as parenting, as far as family life, dynamics, domestic partnerships and marriage, divorce, all of these things being considered? What's it going to look like? Well, we have some evidence. We already have some evidence. We don't have to wait till the coming years, because right now, with all the data that's being gleaned from the major professions um, over the last 10 to 15 years, and especially during now, during times of shutdown and, and, and transition in our uh, economic sphere, we have a lot of data to glean from. And one of them is child care. And I, my thoughts on child care, I don't want to say have evolved, but it's something I've thought about since I was a child. Because I said something to my mom that she thought was quite callous. And she, 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 be, she was very mad at me. I said something and she was upset. She, I said, Mom, how come poor people have kids? She was like, what do you mean by that? I said, I don't think poor people should have kids. She was like, well, why do you say that? I said, because if you can't afford to feed yourself, then why are you trying to feed somebody else? She was like, well, what if people want to start a family? I said, if you can't afford to start a family, you shouldn't start a family. I said that to my mom at 15 years old. That was met. My mom, you, we never argued. My mom would tell me what to do <laughs> most times. But that was our first kind of argument. My mom would obviously discipline me and yell at me if I did something wrong in school, but that was my mom and I's first debate. She was like, well, what are parents, people supposed to do if they can't afford to have a kid? I said, don't have a kid. That sounds callous. I know. I was a 15-year-old trying to make sense of the world that I lived in, how broke people can make decisions that make them even more broke. And that in turn is a cycle. But in the turn, let's talk in contemporary terms about child care. Professional women now, and the reason why women are actually in the workforce in droves now is because no couple can actually live off one salary. 
That's not the man's fault. And that's not the woman's fault. That's the system that we're in that we've allowed to be fault. It's all of our faults by allowing a system to occur, allowing a system that needs both parents to be out of the home for eight to nine hours per day and still raise a family. You can't bring the child to work. You can't leave the child at home. And both of you need to work to afford salaries, to afford basic housing costs, food, clothing, and shelter, to afford the basic necessities. Both individuals have to work. That's interesting. Because the conversation has been about equal rights and gender equality and women getting into the workforce, which I'm all for. But I think that what's gotten lost in translation is who's watching the babies? I did an episode July 4th of 2022, and I said that America is failing its boys. How many examples do we need of that? Juvenile delinquency is on the rise. America's always had guns, people. Used to be able to open up a bank account in many of the United, many states in the United States and get a shotgun as a free gift for opening up a checking account. Guns have always been abound. There's always been political unrest. And when, when America has had its political unrest, guess what? People went out there and bought guns in droves. But there were no mass shootings. When people were afraid of the communists, the, um, the red scares, people bought guns in droves in America had shotguns under the bed in the closet, revolvers. There were no mass shootings. There were no 16, 17-year-olds from the suburbs deciding that they wanted to shoot everybody in their schools. You didn't have the same suicide rate. So tell me now who's watching the babies. What was going on then that was different to now? Well, for starters, a man could bring home a substantial salary in comparison to the cost of living of his era, which allowed the mother, who was the first teacher, who was the first nurse, who was the first chef, who was the first counselor of this child, the first love of this child. She is the first love because she brought that child to term and she put that child on her breast. That makes that woman the first love of that child, no matter how much the father loves and adores that child, that mom, and that first gesture of putting that child onto her breast and feeding that child from her body, that first, that's the first love right there. That mama was able to stay at home before it was demonized, before it was turned into something that one should, a woman should repel and run from as fast as she can. Because while we're talking about affordable child care and the child care needs to be subsidized and, and there are frustrated women on business blogs speaking about 25% of their income is going to child care, my retort to that is two people created this child. Not one, but two. It took two to make. It took one to actually give birth. But it takes two to make and it takes two to parent and it takes two 
to make a thing go right, for a child to live a more fruitful life. Why? I don't know. Every socio-psychologist, every sociologist worth their merit, economists, the Department of Juvenile Justice, all have said that a two-parent household can prevent certain lower metrics to occur in a child. Kids from two-parent households fare far better than kids from single-parent households. In every measurable metric, grades, job, their ability to have uh, uh, stable relationships on their own and get married and have kids and not just co-parent but cohabitate, least prone to juvenile delinquent behavior, dysfunctional antisocial behavior, and to have kids out of wedlock and teenage pregnancy, all of that is lowered significantly when children are coming from two-parent homes where the mother and the father cohabitate throughout the life of that child from year one to year 18. The numbers are astonishing how much better your child fares when both parents are in the home from infancy to 18. Okay, moving forward. We have shown that the number one difference between 1943 and 2023, 1953 and 2023, 1963 and 2023 is the amount of work that the woman is doing away from their child and the amount of households that don't even have a father present in the household while everyone is co-parenting with their different value systems, all disparate and divergent. This is unpopular. I get it. But this is the conversation that needs to be had. Who is supposed to be paying for all of this child care? Two people created this child. And I've always said it takes a village. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to destroy a child. And I've said that. Go listen to America is failing its boys and how we outlined how you get a kid to be 16, 17 years old and deciding that killing his fellow student and himself is a viable option, is actually an option and an option to be executed. What? How did we get here? In a country that's always had guns, in a country that's always had violence. America's a violent country. America was born in violence. America thrived in violence. Slavery was violence. Subjugation of other nations, states, aboriginal people, that was violence. What are we talking about? Segregation, Jim Crow, violence. Hanging kids from trees, calling it a pic people from picnic. In the age of the, the photographic camera, not in ancient carvings and paintings. In the age of the photographic camera, because a lot of, a lot of uh, people like to say, oh, there was another value system back then during the times of slavery. Oh, really? There was another value system? Yeah, that was like, a no, that was the modern era, people. That wasn't ancient times. That's modern philosophy. John Locke, Hobbes, Brown, Paine, Jefferson, what are you talking about? That's nonsense. That's apologistic nonsense. So just to get out of that realm, in the age of the photography, in the age of the photograph, in the age of the motor car, in the age of electricity, we had photographed lynchings with families around. So America's a violent country. We've always been a violent country. 
American violence go hand in hand. However, we've never had this level of violence. What kept that level of barbarism from touching every man, woman, and child was the nuclear family and the ability for a man to make enough of a substantive income to be able to take care of his wife and his child or children, his offspring. She could stay home. He works at the factory. And he's like, hey, you know, we need somebody to be home with the kids during its most formative years between infancy and about five, six, seven, eight years old. Those are the most informative years of a child's life. That's a human being's mind and ideas and value systems are formed then. So when we speak about child care, there's no better child care invented than the two parents that created said child. What are we doing to have, have the wages reflect contemporary times? So maybe Mama Bear, especially in this new technology age, she can work from home and be with this baby. This child should have at least one of the parents supervising them the majority of the day for its first four or five years of its life, at least, at the very least. Is that controversial? Is that controversial? It, 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 it could not even begin to be considered controversial considering, considering that most of human history, modern man is about 200,000 years old, so to speak, approximately. Ancient man, we go back about a million or so years. But for the last... To 199,940 years, that was the norm. What are we talking about? I'm not, I, I'm not crazy. And the reason why I'm using this tone is because we are in a state of emergency. So I can't be as welcoming and as friendly and as conversational as I usually am. We're in a state of emergency. So now the wage, due to the way our our form of capitalism has been constructed. The American wage has been suppressed for about, I don't know, four decades and counting for plus decades. So what occurred? Cost of living increased. Wages were suppressed and couldn't meet the cost of living increases. So now the woman who wanted equal, wanted equal opportunity in the workplace which they should have, which they should have. But there was a conversation that wasn't occurring. What's going to happen to the babies? What's going to happen to the babies? Who's watching them? Oh, we can get a babysitter. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you stay home with the baby? Okay, but we're not going to be able to afford what we need to afford because wages are stagnant. And so both of us actually have to work or should we, do you want to go to the office? Do you want to have to buy all of these clothes? Do you want to have to travel 35, 45, 55, 65, 75 minutes from your home? My mom cried every day she sent me to nursery school. She told me she was on the train inconsolable because when she dropped me off at nursery school, I was in a full-blown boogified fit. Snot, tears, mommy, please don't leave me. 
And she said, I looked at her as if she betrayed me. And she said it broke her heart every single day to quote unquote have to go to work because I asked the naive question, mommy, why you got to go? Why can't I come with you? Why, why do you have to stay out so long? I don't want to be at the place so long. I don't like school. I don't like everybody there. I want to be with you. I want to go back to my house. She's like, but baby, I have to go. I have to. And I didn't get it. And guess what? I don't get it now. But I understand. But it's not the only way things had to be. Because now what's going on is you have two camps. You have women now that have said, you know what? I love being home with my child. Forget these daycares. Forget that eight, nine hundred dollars a month I was spending on child care. Guess what I'm doing? I'm home with my child. I'm working off of my laptop, my computer. I'm answering the phones. I get to see my kid. I have homeschoolers coming to teach my kid at home. I have a camera set up so I can see everything that they're doing. I also, everything is lovely and they love it. So now you have corporate America looking to get these women back in the workforce. And the women are going, um, I, I'm not going back to work. I'm in the workforce, but I'm not going back to work. I'm not returning to the office. That's not the same thing as work. And that's what's very, very important. Returning to the office and working are not the same thing because these people have been working. They have been working, right? So, with that being said, hold on one second, I was answering something. With that being said, here's another conversation that's happening. The other conversation is the women that are saying, we need more affordable childcare. We need more affordable childcare. Okay, <clears throat> how does that work exactly? If you're going to send your child, your baby, oftentimes your infant, Oftentimes, you're newborn to a facility. How much do you think that should cost? Where someone else that is not the parent, that is not a relative, is taking care of your most prized possession. The most important thing in the world is a new child because that child represents the future. How that child turns out is a reflection of each and every last one of us. It takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village to destroy a child. That's why 75% of inmates are illiterate. That society, the village failed them. Go look up the stats. 75% of inmates nationwide are illiterate. So that means that an adult went full 18 plus years without being functionally literate. The school system, the parents, everyone failed that particular child, the village. So now we go back. You're going to send your child off as a newborn to a, to, a, to, a, to a place full of strangers. People who don't know what religion, religious denomination they are, whatever ideology they may have. You don't know these things. Oftentimes you don't. All they tell you is this is a fulfilling environment and a safe environment for your child. Each child is blah, 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 blah. That's what you hear. What do you think that costs to make sure that a place is safe enough for a child to be when the state comes and does an inspection on a particular facility? The kind of care that it takes to make a place childproof. And then to have the level of employee and caregiver 
to care for your child as well as you would care for your child. What's that worth to you? Because right now we're paying those people drive through fast food wages. When the starting salary of someone entrusted with that level of responsibility should be nowhere underneath 20 to 25 dollars per hour but they're getting paid oftentimes single digit hourly wages so where is this affordable child care supposed to come from who's supposed to subsidize and pay for it where are we going we're not having the right conversation because there's absolutely no way that child care and affordability will ever be synonymous. Unless it's one of the parents taking care of said child. Or you're just dropping off the child on gram in grandma's lap. And now you've turned grandma into a care worker. But you better be taking care of grandma too. Make sure she doesn't have to want for any groceries, her gas, her thing. You better be paying, mama. Grandma should be getting four. You should be getting a discount if grandma's taking care of those kids. Should not be for free because of the work and the mental and physical equity it takes to watch a child and to take care of a child and to ensure a child is safe and in, and and now teaching and instructing that child proper habits now you want to not only am i here to keep you safe now i got to make sure you do things learning your alphabet and your shapes and your colors i'm sorry how much ten dollars an hour that just ain't gonna do so guess what the affordability of child care throw that out the window oh you want the government to subsidize that which means taxpayer why because no one wants to have the conversation that we're about to have right now and continue to have. And here's one of the conversations. I have many, many friends that are attorneys, female attorneys. Many, many. Here's what's going on in the, in the, in the legal field. And this is not just me and this is not anecdotal. These are studies that are being had right now. More and more women are leaving high-powered, pressured law firms due to to what what the inflexibility of the hours and the unattainability of certain expectations to be a high-powered corporate lawyer in new york in texas in new jersey in chicago in atlanta in los angeles you're gonna have to be putting in about 65 plus hours per week and i'm talking about at the office i'm not talking about the lunches the breakfasts, the dinners, the power drinks that you have to have with clients. But that's what everybody wanted. Women wanted the opportunity to have that. I want to have the corner office too. I want to be on the cover of Law Such and Such magazine as well and have my hands folded, etc., etc. I want to be able to do that. Okay? They want to be able to do that. So guess what? Guess what happened? They did it, and they did it from age 24, they did it 25, they did it 26, they did it at age 27, they did it at age 28, they did it at age 29, and then the big 3-0 happened, and they looked around, they didn't have a man, they didn't have any kids, and their biological clock was ticking, and they realized that all of this glitter ain't golden. 
this thing that's glittering ain't gold. The stature, the money, the prestige, the station, this gold collar worker making 1% money, making top 5% of, of, of global earners money. And all you want to do now is start a family because now you're burned out. And now you realize, oh, ideology is never going to trump biology, ever. You're going ah, so then what happens? Now you want to be someone's first cook, someone's first teacher, someone's first love, and you want to give birth to your first. And you realize there's absolutely no way you can do both. Have a system that needs you to work 65, 70 plus hours a week to compete and be a family person simultaneously so the other way to look at that is every single dime that you that you earned from age 24 as a corporate uh, as a junior associate all the way up to age about 30 you should save that for when now you decide to be a mama you're like okay i'm getting married i think i found mr right we tied the knot we want to have a child and he's looking at me saying you know, the cost of things due to our system and how, how, how our system operates, you know, we're not going to be able to, I don't know, have you and I be out of work. She goes, but wait, I've been saving for this moment since I graduated law school and got my first job. I've been saving. So now I have about, I don't know, eighty ninety thousand dollars in the bank so if i need to take a minute for me and i have a system that has maternity leave so if you're in a system that has a maternity leave of about six months to a year and then you've saved up a nice pretty penny you can say to yourself okay i can afford to homeschool be there for my baby teach my baby certain value systems. And then now with technology, I can work from home a bit. I can handle certain things from home. And then when my child reaches of age of maybe school age, I can then start to enter and matriculate back into the workforce or returning back to the office. You're still in the workforce, but returning back to the office and doing certain things. Because once you decide to have a child, I'm sorry, people, I know this sounds wrong. Once you've decided to bring another human being into this thing of ours, that's your responsibility first and foremost. It's your responsibility. With that being said, if that's your responsibility, then we shouldn't have the conversation about affordable child care yet. The conversation should be, why is the wage so stagnant that we need a mother and a father to be out away from their children for eight, nine, ten hours a day, away from their children during the waking hours? Hmm? Because we, we don't want to spend the money and pay this man the level of money that he's worth, the, the, the wage that he's worth because profits up suppressing wage. Wage down, profit up is the way we make money in the United States of America. Suppress the wage because we use the wage as a cost input and the profits are up. We talked about it in the last episode. Layoffs lead to high stocks, surging stock prices. I worked on Wall Street when I remember 
man on the floor said June such and such ABC Corp is going to lay off about 1300 people today which is going to make them more liquid and is going to be great for stockholders etc etc use that as a selling point to the people on the other end of the line to future investors to prospective investors that was a selling point people getting fired so as a human being as a laborer as an employee you're nothing but an expense you're an expensive light bill and they're looking to see how they can cut their light bill in half do we got to go solar? Do we got to go this? That's what you are. How do we replace you with a machine or a worker willing to take less, way less? If it means crushing whole communities and leaving whole rust belts and whole communities destitute, so be it. It's about the bottom line and it's about shareholder expectations over the next quarter. That's all it's about. That's their covenant. That's their obligation. That's their mandate, period. What's your mandate? From infancy to eight years old is one of the most, if not the most important time in a child's life. How you train that child from year one to year eight is going to determine how that child acts at 17, 18 years old. And if you're spending most of your time being a 65, 70, 80 hour a week employee working for someone else because those were your goals, dreams and aspirations and still have a child simultaneously. We have to have a greater conversation as to what's more important, because in a society now where we're afraid of our kids. OK, you're on an elevator with a bunch of suburban teens you used to feel safe, <laughs> not anymore. The kids that are creating the most that are committing some of the most violent and heinous acts don't even come from violent and heinous neighborhoods. What's going on, I say? One of the things that we have to speak about is who's at home with this child? Who's monitoring what this child has been looking at? Do the parents actually know this baby? Everyone is getting home at four, five, six o'clock, having a little bit of dinner and getting ready to go to work and school the next day and going to do that for five days in a row for decades. And before you know it, everyone is grown, everyone is old, and no, no, no one in that house knows each other's value systems. A parent wakes up, the kid is prepubescent, is pubescent, and you don't know that child. Puberty is difficult enough for parents and children, but it becomes even more difficult when that child feels that the parent didn't know them pre-puberty and the parent actually doesn't know the child. That child starts to feel more isolated and more alone because mom and dad don't even know me. And guess what? You don't know them either. So when I think about affordable child care, with all the subsidies that we need to... I was reading something, guys. As a matter of fact, let's see if I can pull it up. Um, our president, uh, Joseph R. Biden, is wants to mandate that chip, uh, semiconductor chip manufacturers, uh, companies that manufacture chips in the United States, as an added incentive... Um, if they want to produce chips in the United States and get access to further federal funding, the government is saying that these particular facilities have to have and provide affordable child care. What the heck does an engineering firm know about child care? Semiconductors and chips know about child care. Hmm? 
do you think that a place that produces and creates semiconductors and microchips is a place that your, your, your baby should be? I'm just saying, because that's, that's what's going on now. Everyone is kicking the, the, kicking the stone down the road and passing the buck and having what I call peripheral conversations. No one wants to have the conversation about the nuclear family remaining intact. And maybe the best way to raise these children via best practices and best outcomes is one of the parents stays home during that child's formative years. And don't tell me we can't do that because, no, you have to tell me why can't we do that? If that so far has been the best way to raise a child, because guess what? I'm going to say it again. The way that we're doing it now isn't working and we have the results to prove it. The outcomes are far less are more negative. The outcomes in the 20th, I'm sorry, the late 20th and 21st century, those outcomes are far less positive for children entering into adulthood than they were in the earlier part of the 20th century or the mid 20th century where the nuclear family was somewhat intact. It's something to consider. It's something to talk about. Instead of worrying about critical race theory, whether or not to have that in the school or not, or whether we should have prayer in schools or the national anthem, we might want to think about bringing back home economics. Hey, that's a thought. That's a thought. I didn't have home economics growing up, but the teachers that taught me did. And the adults in my neighborhood did. And I read about home economics where there was an, actually a, cla a class taught to middle school aged kids, preteens and teenagers who were going to enter into adulthood in a couple of years. They taught home economics. They would give you dolls and things to treat as your own child. They would, they would, they would ask kids to research the price of bread and milk, and a car, and a house, and clothing, household expenses, and then figure out what salaries would work for that. It's called home economics. How much does the dad need to make? What, does, what are mom's responsibilities? What are dad's, the father's responsibilities? There were actually high school classes on that. Whoa, because guess what? The majority of your life is going to be spent trying to figure out these things. <laughs> Who does what with the money? Home economics. How many divorces occur because there was a lack of knowledge about home economics? Breakups due to home economics. Families fractured due to home economics. A lack of knowledge based on home economics. So my question is, for all, the, for all the women out there and the families and the men out there that are advocating for this affordable childcare uh, 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 dialogue and discourse, and for the women that are in the workplace saying, we need more subsidies. No, you don't. You need a higher salary. Your man needs a higher salary and you need to be home with the baby. That's why I can't be a politician because as a politician, if I were to say that, that's why they say most honest people don't make great politicians, and that's who I am. I try to be transparent when I speak about these things because what, what other reason would I have to do what I'm doing? If the first seven to 10 years of a child's life are the most important 
of that human being's existence, then why are we outsourcing it to $10 an hour workers? Why are we not paying the man more? Get, allowing the woman to work from home more so she can be in closer proximity to this child during its formative years. Why is that not the conversation? Why is that conversation taboo? Oh, Junior, being a chauvinist? No, I'm not. I'm being a child advocate. I'm making sure that that child doesn't shoot me, you, its classmates, my nephew, my niece, my cousins, my descendants, my child, my sons, my daughters. Hmm? I'm making sure that I'm ensuring that the future is bright by making sure that the village is making sure, is ensuring that that child is given the tools and the rules and instruction necessary as early as possible for them to be what? A positive contributory member of this society because they're the ones that are gonna be paying my social security. They're the ones who are gonna be helping me cross the street and not robbing me they're the ones who are going to help me with my groceries when they see me putting groceries in the car when I'm an old man. And this conscientious, moral, sound, prudent, contributory individual is going to look at me and go, reminds me of my grandpa, reminds me of my dad, reminds me of my teachers. Hey, can I help you, sir? I'll be like, oh, young man, of course, because I'm looking at that young man and he's not a threat. Because I know that we did all we could to create and raise and create a society and a reality that fostered and nurtured this child. And it started with mom and dad. You talk about child care, two, it, took, it took two to create and it takes two to parent. It takes two to make a thing go right. The data overwhelmingly supports it. I understand many triggered single parents are not going to like what I say. I'm going to un I understand if many children from divorced homes and single parent homes are not going to like what I say. But this is not me. Do not kill the messenger, please. Don't kill the messenger. Let's all look at the data and look at what's going on. We're not we're failing these kids. And talking about affordable child care is nonsense. This is that child care right now is as affordable as it's ever going to be. The cost of feeding these kids with the cost of toys, the cost of education for the people to become certified child care providers, the cost of the juice boxes and the little treats that go into little fridge refrigerators. All of these things go up. The cost of the fuel for that person to be able to commute back and forth to that job. The average used car is $33,000. The average new car is $48,000. And you want this person to be a nurturing, positive, responsible model for your child? On what salary? If you're not willing to pay that person $20 to $25 an hour, if you're going to pay them Drive-through wages, you're going to get drive-through child care. The cameras are out, people. I look online all the time. What do I see? I see child care places getting shut down because of abuse. I saw a neonatal ward out in Long Island. 
a, 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 a nursery where a nurse banged the head of an infant, thought she was out of view of everyone. A nurse. A nurse did this. I'm not being an alarmist. This happens all the time. This happens all the time. And now there's now you have nurseries and you have daycare centers that have cameras so the parent can check up on the child when they, you know and look at the camera and look at the phone app and look at their kid. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's cool. That's okay. That's okay. Do you even know if these people are from your village? Do you even know if you have a shared value system with the people that are looking after your child or, or the children that your child's around at such an early age? Do you even know? You know, you don't. You don't know. You don't know what's going on in your village because you because the wage has been suppressed. The cost of living has far outweighed how much you earn per day, per hour, per week, per month, per year. So then you have to now outsource um, um, taking care of your child, your responsibility. Two people decided to lay down and procreate this child and create this child. That's what you do when you lay down. That's what you do after puberty. That's what ends up happening. A baby can happen here. A baby can happen here. Do you have the wherewithal? And if you are an adult and you're over 25 and you're over 30 years old and you're complaining to me about affordable child care, I'm not listening. That's not the conversation. The conversation is to why, are you, why aren't you getting paid more? You already devalued as soon as you enter into a job. Profits up while wages are down. That's the dynamic. I get rich by not paying you your worth. Why are you not talking about more equitable splits with the company that you work for? Why are we not speaking about longer maternity leaves where maybe you can earn 40 to 50% of your salary? And now with technology in many, many sectors, you can work from home. So you can, you can actually be on maternity leave and work a little bit, right? Because taking care of a baby is a full-time job. Taking care of a child is a full-time job. It's year-round, and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Even where you outsource your child to, that's you making a decision as to how you're going to care for your child. So if your child is accustomed to listening to everybody else but you, I had a friend of mine who owned a daycare. She was getting babies as early as two months old into her daycare said, June, this child is brand new to the world. I was like, where's the mama? Mama's got to go to work. Mm. I said nothing. I said nothing. So you're raising this child. So this child is going to know more about other people, other people, other authorities, figures. You are going to be a secondary figure in that child's life, a peripheral figure, earlier than usual because you didn't make yourself central. So the things that you say are not going to hold the same value and weight to that child because from as early as that child can remember, it was in the care of others, of strangers, not named mom, not named dad, not named uncle, not named auntie, not named grandpa, not named grandma. Those are the facts. And women are spending 25% of their income after taxes on that. So now we want tax subsidies, tax credits, tax subsidies, tax credits for this. So because, yeah, because I need the child care. But guess what? Women in droves are leaving these jobs that they so wanted after they've been at these jobs for six, seven years and realized, oh, I finally got in. And now that I'm in, you realize it ain't the party you thought it was.
And I'm not admonishing women. I'm saying, okay, you're in now. You see what it is. Now that you're in, help make some changes. You need to get back home. If you're going to bring more people onto this planet, you can't just outsource that person to others to raise. I'm sorry. We have to have a conversation about a fundamental shift in how our work life environment coexists. The work day should be shortened, as I've said since I was 15 years old. No, I'm sorry, about 18, 19, when I got my first full-time job. I had worked a bunch of, I worked a bunch of several part-time jobs beforehand. But when I, when I got my first full-time job and the commute and the work five days in, my body just started feeling normal Sunday night after working Monday through Friday and I had to get back into that grind again. I was like, uh-uh, something wrong with this. Why is the day so long? My mom is like, June, that's just how it is. Mom, why are we working five days? We should be working like three and three or something or four on, three off. If I'm gonna work four on, I should get consecutive three off and I should get more than two weeks vacation. June, this is just how it is. Why, why are you pregnant with Mike and you got to go to work? When she had my brother. She was pregnant with my brother. And I was like, why, why are you going to work? You, you have a baby in there. It, none of that made sense to me. And guess what? Through the, through the mouths of babes, I was right. And the world that we lived in was not treating us right. I was correct. The way things were manifesting around me were wrong. Child knows what it is. We've spent more than our whole reality, most of our lives as human beings, our existence, 200,000 plus years. We've been an agrarian society up until the uh, last 100 plus years. Only over the last 200 years have we been industrial where people were moving into the city sectors more and more for the jobs and opportunities. This is a new phenomenon in human history. Evolution is slow. And evolution was telling me that mom was supposed to be in close proximity to me during these ages. And I was saying all of these things to her between the ages of one and ten. By the time I reach nine, ten, I'm kind of glad my mom's not around as much. Good, mom. Get off of my back, please. I'm coming into my own. I understand the value system. There's a certain level of self-sufficiency to me. But during those early years, it's mom. Yeah, I'll go play for a team or I'll go do this or I'll go over my cousin's house. Or I'll do something. I want to go back home. Where's mommy? Where's daddy? Where's mommy? So my question is, why are we not having that conversation? More and more women are leaving the workforce and have decided now to be like, you know what? I'm not going back to the office. I love seeing my baby during the day. I love seeing my kids during the day. I love having my kids homeschooled in one room and I have a camera and, and there's a, a, a teacher there or whatever, an instructor, <clears throat> three, four-year-old. And I love being able to teach them and see their first this and their first that and being able to earn at the same time because I also have professional inclinations. I also have professional desires. I'm, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I'm good or great at this. And technology now 
puts a lot of people in a position where they can do those things from the comfort of their or the comfort and confines, security and safety of their own homes, knowing that their child is being taken care of. Every single mother who's away at work, every working mother is torn and feels guilty every time they drop their child off at a daycare. <clears throat> every single time. There's a certain level of guilt there. Regret, like why have I, not, what am I doing wrong? Your society was created, your society, how it's created is not conducive to family. You're trying to retrofit it into family. You can't do it. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine, she's in corporate law. And she was like, it's grinding her to the bone. She's 31 years old, successful, and super depressed. I told her, and she wants to be a mama. I said the same things. The part of you that wants to be a mom is not compatible to the corporate lawyer. A corporate lawyer cannot work in early childhood education. And, and an early childhood educator cannot be a hedge fund business manager. You're using two different sides of your mind. It's two different kind of human beings altogether. The person who wants to be a social worker, counselor, kindergarten teacher with the balloons and the cartoons and the voices and reading out loud and feeling a sense of uber fulfillment by the wonder and the joy that comes from a child. That person doesn't enter into big business. They may turn their child care or their love of child care into a business, which in turn makes them a business person. But what they really are is an educator who happened to start a business in education. They don't deal with raw numbers and just customers and clients. They're dealing with babies in the future and they understand the, the, the honor or the privilege and the burden that has been bestowed upon them. Being a maker or breaker of dreams. Because that's what these early childhood educators, child care providers and teachers are that we ship our kids off to. The maker or breaker of dreams. And I say onto each and every person out there, the data is becoming increasingly clear that certain movements that are occurring in our modern day are not reflecting the realities. We have the idea, oh, the disparity between men and women's income, we need to do something about that. No, we don't. Men should be making way more than they're making already. But if a woman decides to enter into customer service and another man decides to enter into construction and he's working at a construction site with a jackhammer in 18 degree Chicago weather with wind chill, and you're working in an office saying, hello, how can I help you? Those salaries aren't supposed to be the same. But if you saw the same thing, entry-level construction worker job available at $28 an hour, customer service job available at $12 an hour, both entry-level, men and women, please are encouraged to apply. And you didn't even think as a female to enter into that construction, job, construction site unless you're working in clerical. That's biology. That's you saying, I don't want to be outside in the elements. I don't want that. That's risk. That's more risk. Than I don't want to deal with heavy and dirt and yuck. 
I'll work the customer service. I'll be more nurturing. I'll be more of a problem solver in-house. That's part of it is not, that's more, that's more, what are you suited for? When people talk about income disparities, at most times at the same exact job, doing the same exact thing with the, at the same exact age, with the same amount of education, you're going to make pretty much the same. You're going to make pretty much the same. It's throughout industries, there are differences. And with all that being said, technology is nullifying a lot of that. Women who love to work in customer service and want to work in certain other client relation fields and marketing, et cetera, et cetera, they don't need to go into office anymore. I don't want to hear the conversation about child care. And I'm sorry, if you're working at the Dollar Tree and then you're looking for child care and you're looking to have a baby, maybe you should wait until you can get a job, uh, uh, build up your credentials to the point where Dollar Tree is not your only, um, 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 you're not only qualified to do that, retail and things of that nature. I'm sorry, the world is changing, but what should stay the same is the par parenting roles which means one of you has to stay home. Now, if the women out there are okay with a stay-at-home dad, are you okay with that? Then okay. Then you go make the big bucks, and dad will be home instilling the value system into that child and working in tandem. You know, gets on the phone with the missus, and, and, the missus and, the, and you as the woman, you're at work at lunch, and you go, well, sweetheart, can you tell them, make sure that he or she is doing A, B, C, D, and E. And then he go, okay, they did this today. How do we handle this? Well, um, I think you should say this, that, and the third. Then you discuss it and you go back and then you start instilling the value system of both of you working in tandem. Somebody's got to be on the ground. Boots on the ground. Outsourcing these babies to $10 an hour child care workers who should be making double that, if not triple that, because of what's asked of them. They take your two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten month old baby that's still in pampers, and they're cleaning your child, washing your child, reading to your child, feeding your child, and you want to pay them $10 an hour? And you want to talk about affordable child care? Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out. That's a circular conversation. That conversation is a perpetual merry-go-round that no one will ever get off. Everyone's going to be dizzy and not know where the hell they are. It's a fast merry-go-round. That conversation is tantamount, equates to a fast merry-go-round. Everyone's going in a circle quickly, and then you jump off, and you don't know what to do. That's not the conversation we should be having. With women, by and large, have been in corporate for five, six, seven years after graduation, and now they want out. Now they have other values. Now they have other things, but no one told them. Why? There's no more home economics. We want to teach STEM and critical race and blah, 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 but no one wants to teach men and women how to couple and get together and take care of their finances and then in turn be adults so they can raise a child to be a good adult. No one's having these conversations. Everything is about go to school, go to school, get, a, get this big education, get this big job so you can have a big corporation grind you down to the bone. But no one's teaching you how to be prudent, how to be a parent, how to be an adult. Our life expectancy is so high now that adult, uh, that childhood is longer. When, pe when people used to only live until their 30s, 
and 40s, you try to instill as much survival skills into your child as humanly possible because there were elements working against you and that child reaching old age together. Now you have generations on social security. I go visit my mom at her retirement community. You got a 67-year-old talking about I got to go see my mom because she lives around the corner. Whoa. First time in human history that we've had a more uh, uh, life expectancy this high. You know what that means? Life is longer. But you know what? That means adulthood is longer. It doesn't mean childhood should be extended. Ah. Actually, there's more now of an onus to teach a child how to be an adult because adulthood is longer than before. You're going to live from 18. You're going to be an adult from 18 to about your pubescent years where you're able to give life to another. Which starts around 13, 14 is going to go on from 13 to 80. Hmm. So talk to me. That's 60 plus years of adulthood. Of adulthood. So we don't have time to muck and buck around with a child and how they're taught. Because mistakes in adulthood are magnified, hard to rectify. If you're making those mistakes at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, okay. Can't make that same mistake at 25. Can't make that same mistake at 35. Mistakes you make in your adulthood, that's all you, when you get quote unquote charged as an adult. In many, many ways, we get charged and judged and indicted as adults for mistakes that we should have left way in our, our adolescence and should have been already taught out of us in our adolescence, in our single digit years or maybe in our early teens can't do that in your 20s and 30s can't even do it at 18 this is important so this talk of oh we need affordable child care i don't believe so i don't believe so i don't i don't agree i don't agree that that's the answer do we need affordable child care i don't know what that looks like like i said because I believe that a child care worker should be making no less than $20 an hour for the responsibilities that are bestowed upon them. So that means it's not going to be affordable for that person to put gas in their car, for that person to go to work, for the, for the, for the kind of facility that, that can foster the, 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 um, your child's abilities and to create a safe, nurturing environment with people that are conscientious enough to carry out these tasks. You're going to have to pay them a nice little wage to start. Because yesterday's price won't be today's price, to quote the great Fat Joe. So what you paid them this year, up oh, next year, the price going up, price of the daycare going up. Like Marlo Stanfield said in The Wire, price of the brick going up. Price going up. So this year, they're getting paid 20 bucks an hour. Next year, they're going to get paid 21 and a half bucks an hour or $20.68. That cost is always going to go on to the customer. Oh, no, it's not supposed to go on to the customer client. It's supposed to go to what? The taxpayer, the government? Okay. So now there's always going to be the question of who's paying for this. Because my solution is 
we have to give a we have to have the most serious conversation about the wage about maternity leave about working from home those are the three things before you speak about child care and how much that costs the wage has to be fundamentally increased i mean an increase historical increases historical so maybe we can create a time where maybe the woman can maybe there's there's certain women out there who don't want to work these full there are women out there who are like i want to work in early childhood education but it doesn't pay enough i would love to be a guidance counselor but it doesn't pay enough that's what i hear from a great many people that enter into other fields that quote unquote pay but they're not interested in and what they would rather do is have get married to a successful or a man of means so they can be there for the child. Because that man is saying, all right, I'm going to go out there into the world. And one of us has to be home with the child. And if the woman says, well, I want to be the one who goes out into the world and works these 60, 70, 80, 90 hour work weeks, then the guy goes, great, then I'll be home with the child. Because someone has to be home with the baby. And that's been the fundamental mainstay that has been erased and eradicated from the conversation. Who's going to be home with the, who's with the baby? Who's watching the baby? While everybody else is trying to be a captain of industry and get their, you become a most notable and live out their dreams, you decided to bring another person onto this planet and you're sacrificing them on the altar of your dreams. That sounds extreme. I know, but no one told you to bring another person onto this planet, both the man and the woman. No one told you to do that. No one told you to do it. Oh, because, hey, I guess we're 28 years old. We got to have kids. Or oh, I'm 35. My biological clock is ticking. Let me have a kid. No, 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 no. No, if you don't want to have that child, don't. If you're not ready to give up the corporate life or the life that has you working 10, 12 hours away from home, don't. Don't give that up. Stay there. But understand, if you stay there, you're not going to be able to have a child simultaneously and, and raise a clear, moral, sound, prudent individual that you're going to be able to instill your value system in. Not in the 21st century, not with social media, not with the phones, not with what these children are exposed to. Now, more than ever before, parents living far away from value system centers where they know their village could protect their child if they're around. Now that people are just moving as far away from family members and friends because they got to go chase the almighty dollar. Now more than ever, you have to be there for your child. You're not in an agrarian village anymore that if your child is walking down the street by themselves, one of the neighbors will go, where are you going? I'm just walking around. Get your, butt in this, get your butt in this horse and this carriage or this Model T or this pickup and I'm taking you back home. We're no longer in that world. Our village is filled with disparate people with disparate value systems from all over and they're your neighbors and you don't know. That's why I said know thy neighbor. You don't know your neighbors. You don't know their background. You don't know their mama. You don't know their daddy. You don't know their proclivities. You don't know anything. We don't know anything. So now more than ever, one of you is going to have to be around with this child. One of you. That's the conversation. Who's going to be home with who's going to be home with the kid? I don't want to hear about outsourcing it to some stranger. 
who's going to be home with the kid, and how do we create a society that makes that a viable option one, a viable, realistic, attainable option one. Who's going to be home with the baby? Which one of the parents are going to be home with the child? Which one of the parents is going to have a job that allows them to be home with the child? Or which one of the parents is going to make enough money so the actual other parent doesn't even have to work? Or, or, or no, I'm sorry, not work. Doesn't have to earn a quote-unquote wage in the labor force because being a parent is hard work. And the idea that being a parent isn't work is what's led to this world we live in today where a housewife, a stay-at-home mom is frowned upon. She doesn't really work. Really? Really? Cooking, cleaning, washing, teaching, loving, consoling, using all of your equity to make sure this child is safe. Child bumps into a wall, is crying, and all of a sudden you're panicking. This child gets a big bump on its head or it's trying to stick its tongue into the electrical outlet. You have to make sure... The whole, I watch my little, my little nephew. My little nephew is an awesome human being. He's probably one of the best people I know. This little person is enthusiasm, joy, wonder, opportunity, potential, just personified. He's an awesome human being. But I got to tell you, just watching him when he was two, three years old, I was exhausted. Just, just making sure that my eyes were on him at all times, the acute level of awareness that I have to initiate to make sure that he was safe. When I gave him back to my brother or dropped him back off to, his, to, to, to my brother, to his parents, I went home and I went to sleep. I had nothing left. That's parenting. And I wasn't the parent. I'm just the uncle. I was exhausted. I had nothing. Because I had to make sure he, he got his exercise. Okay, he's a little kid. He wants to play. He wants to play, but then he eats. But then he's not really communicating because he doesn't know all of his words and sentences. So now he's grumpy. I don't know why he's grumpy. I got to deal with all. I got to make sure. I'm just trying to create quiet. And the only noise I want to hear is playful noise. You can bang on drums. You can do whatever you want. You can sing and scream. As long as you're happy, I'm happy. But I always have to make sure. I can't leave the room without him. He has to always have to be with an eyesight, not not earshot, but eyesight of me, no matter where I was. You know how much work that is? But the idea that's been perpetuated onto our society, I don't want to say by whom you figure it out, that all of a sudden the stay at home wife, the stay at home mom was frowned upon, frowned upon. She doesn't work. So now many of the people out there now, many of the women out there have been ingrained, have, have been taught and indoctrinated into believing that being a mom is not work. You can just outsource that to a childcare worker. That being a mom is the most important work that you're ever going to do ever in life. There's no other job that you have that's going to be more important than that once you decide to be a mother. You, there is no other job that you have that is more important than you fostering the mind of that person. That person can either become Albert Einstein or Adolf Hitler. You make a choice, and oftentimes that choice is fostered between the first 10 years, just saying, of that child's life. That's how important that job is. That's how, that's, how, that's how much reverence and regard and respect that I have for that job. So I don't want to diminish a woman's dreams of being the next, you know, whatever, 
Condoleezza Rice or Kamala or Hillary or or who Oprah, whoever. You want to be the next greatest defense attorney ever and the greatest inventor ever and this, that, and the third. That's great. None of those jobs equate to being the greatest mom ever who gave birth to the greatest individual ever. Sorry. Sorry. Once you've decided to bring a person onto that planet, that person could be a person of peace. You can raise an MLK or you can raise the next leader of the KKK. So on you, that's the village. And the village starts with mom and dad. So when I hear about child care, what are we doing to care for the child as a society? Knowing that mama's got to be there. Knowing that at least one of these parents have to be home. What are we doing making sure that this technology that we have now? All of these captains of industry are so upset at the work from home. What are we saying to people that become parents? What are we saying to the women that want to become mothers? They want to become wives. As a man, I do not want my woman spending more time with her employer than me. That's not what I want. I lived in Boca Raton for a great many years, and I met many, many successful, rich men. You know what a guy said to me is that his wife is at, at home with his two boys. And he was like, yeah, yeah she wanted to be a, a, a caregiver. She wanted, I'm sorry, she wanted to be a mom. And I and she wanted to be a wife and I wanted a, a, I wanted a wife and I wanted someone to mother, be a loving person to watch my kids. And he said that most of the guys in that neighborhood, they go for two types. They either go for the wild, sexy, crazy type in the strip joints that gets them in a bunch of trouble or they find that they find graduates of early childhood education. And all that woman really wants to do is raise her babies. He said, I don't want and he said this. He said, I don't want my woman around a bunch of other guys working for some other company for what? I make way too much money to not have the life that I want. I want someone to make sure that my kids have the value system that I grew up with. And I'm, I want that person to share my value system. She shares it and we move on. Yo, I respected it because it, he, all he was doing was echoing things that I thought. That's all I'm saying, people. Who's going to watch the babies? With all of this talk about affordable child care and child tax care credits and all of this stuff, why are we not talking about raising the annual salary significantly of the men that have gone to school, that have gone to work, that have done all these things? Why are we not talking about creating more uh, work, home, friendly jobs that, are, that pay substantially so the woman can simultaneously be a mother and be part of the labor force, so to speak? As if she's not working enough taking care of this child. But okay, why are, we not, why are we not talking about mandatory maternity and paternity leaves? Well, you get a fraction or a portion of your salary while you're out. Why are women not taught early? Why is home economics not in, in the, uh, taught in schools as early as middle school? The earlier you teach it, the more it becomes ingrained. Don't wait till the child is a freshman. A don't wait then. Maybe you start in eighth grade. Intro. Home economics. Parenting. Then you and you teach the other things. Math, science, English, of course, philosophy, history, everything else. Real economics, a true survey of economics. But we're going to spend a lot more time as adults raising kids and raising grandkids than we are going to be kids, than, than children. So these value systems are important. So the parent has to be there early and often, and available, and present. 
present. So I know many women, many women are going to go, June, well, but I can say you don't know how it is. I know how it is to be a kid who wants his mama. So I'm an expert on parenting in that regard. I know how it feels to be alone in the house. I know how it feels to have my mom break her back to try to be there for me. I know how important it was to have my mom there during those formative years where the streets almost got me in New York. And at times they, they got me, but it was temporary. They didn't kidnap me for good. They gave me back to my mom. And if she wasn't available and around, <laughs> I already know where I would be right now. I would, I would be behind a wall or under the dirt. So when people say, well, June, you're not a woman and you don't understand. You know what I am? I'm a son and I was a baby and I was a three-year-old. I was a four-year-old. I was a four-year-old and I still remember being at Ebenezer Nursery School and watching my mom walk out of that door and I remember the despair I felt. So I am qualified to speak about this. Maybe not as a man, but as a, as a kid, as a man who was a boy, as a man who was a baby, and a man who was an adolescent, as a man who was a troubled teen and needed his mom, I'm qualified. Men are qualified. Society is qualified. The stay-at-home mom, the stay-at-home wife, the housewife, that's not something to be frowned upon. That's something to be revered and celebrated. Someone who knows how to do that job correctly, it's the greatest, it's the biggest responsibility that a person can take, undertake, is being a parent. And this idea that we're outsourcing it out to these others, these others, and that's just okay, that's just the new standard and norm and the new status quo, well, I'm the enemy of the status quo then. That's not the conversation. That's not where the conversation should start or end. It's part of the conversation, but it's further down the road. We need a fundamental conversation about increasing the wage of one of the parents so one of the parents can stay home and increasing this work from home dynamic, not listening to these RT. Yeah, sorry, society is going to change. Yeah, these, these commercial Commercial real estate is going to remain vacant until you find until we find a way to repurpose them. But this work from home dynamic is here to stay. The hybridized work environment is here to stay. And the solution isn't mandating that companies have daycare centers. That's not where we start. Is that part of it down the road? Making jobs more kid friendly? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a conversation. That's a conversation. That's a conversation. But a job's first, but, but a company's first um, 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 a mandate is, is to its mission statement, how it competes in the marketplace. I got that. So it's not the job's job to have a playpen and pacifiers and breastfeeding stations um at the moment upon their creation. No, but if it's part of the conversation now, that's good. Maybe more jobs will start 
you know, more companies will start and they'll have innovative workspaces and interactive workspaces where you can create a situation where you have child care workers and you have a child care situation hybridized with certain industries. I'm all for that. Oh, that's cool. That sounds nice. That's not the beginning of the conversation, though. The beginning of the conversation is the home. How do we change work from home? How do we increase the viability and availability and options of having um, sustainable salaries from home? Salaries that can sustain a household from home. Take care of the bare necessities. And then some from home. And paying people wages, higher wages, significantly higher for the jobs that they're doing. And then maternity leave and paternity leave. These are the conversations. The conversation about how parenting and how important it is to be present in a child's life from ages infancy to 8, 9, 10 years old. And how that's going to affect how that child acts when they go to school. And how they deal with conflict. And how they deal with their emotions when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. And they just don't, they don't feel like they can cope. It's going to go back to the fundamental teachings. You're only going... You know, when things go wrong, you can only fall back to your training. Okay? You're going to fall back to the level of your training. That's why if you're a basketball player and you train, you don't train until you get it right. You train until you can't get it wrong as a professional. You don't train until you get it right. You train to the point where you can't get it wrong. So you're falling to the level of your training at all times. You can't get it wrong. There's no way to get it wrong. Because you, you, it's been repeated. And that's what you, we need to start thinking about when we think about these kids from infancy to 8, 9, 10 years old. We have to have it imbued in them to the point where they can't get it wrong. They've learned how to do it right to the point where they can't get it wrong. So when things get shaky... In those pubescent years, with the peer pressure and the environmental pressures and the turbulence that goes on in their world, they can fall back to the level of their training. You train them because you were there, not the tablet, not the laptop, not the television, not the streaming service, not the, the other child care workers and everybody else. You were the center of their universe. And you instilled in them the proper training and instruction that will help them through those turbulent times so they don't end up shooting up their damn school or joining a gang or entering into juvenile antisocial behaviors of all sorts. Promiscuity. I know I sound like a boomer now. I'm not a boomer. But you know what I am? I'm a kid who needed his mom and my mom was there, luckily for me. I'm here today because my mom made certain concessions. Because she knew someone had to be there with the kids. Not just for the kids, but with the kids. It wasn't enough to feed and water me. She had to be present and available. We're going to continue this conversation next episode. Till we speak again.